0: following sermon, entitled, Our Prayer for Sanctification and Preservation, was preached on the evening of June 12, 2022 at Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California. If you enjoy listening to our sermons, we encourage you to come worship with us. For more information on upcoming service times and Bible study opportunities, please visit our website at hopeprc.org. We read God's Word this evening from two different places. First, from John chapter 17 and then Luke chapter 22. John chapter 17, first of all, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. We will read the first 19 verses here. John 17, this is the inspired and therefore infallible word of our God. These words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come, glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son also may glorify Thee. As Thou hast given Him power over all flesh, that He should give eternal life to as many as Thou hast given Him. And this is life eternal, that they might know Thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom Thou hast sent. I have glorified Thee on the earth. I have finished the work which Thou gavest me to do. For I have given unto them the words which Thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from Thee, and they have believed that Thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which Thou hast given me, for they are Thine, and all Mine are Thine, and Thine are Mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee. Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given Me, that they may be one as we are. As we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in Thy name. Those that Thou gavest Me, I have kept. And none of them is lost, but the son of perdition, that the Scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to Thee, And these things I speak in the world, that they might have My joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them Thy Word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that Thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that Thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Now let us turn to Luke chapter 22, and we will read verses 31 through 34 Luke 22, verses 31-34. And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. And he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee both into prison and to death. And he said, I tell thee, Peter, the cock shall not crow this day before, thou, before that thou shalt deny that thou knowest me. It's on the basis of these passages of Scripture that we have the instruction of the Heidelberg Catechism in Lord's Day 52. Lord's Day 52 which treats the sixth petition as well as the conclusion of the Lord's Prayer. Our focus tonight will be primarily on the sixth petition. Lord's Day 52, which is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and beside this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh, Cease not to assault us. Do Thou therefore preserve and strengthen us by the power of Thy Holy Spirit that we may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes till at last we obtain a complete victory. How dost Thou conclude Thy prayer? For Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is, all these we ask of Thee because Thou, being our King and Almighty, art willing and able to give us all good. And all this we pray for, that thereby not we, but Thy holy name may be glorified forever. What doth the word Amen signify? Amen signifies it shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart, that I desire these things of Him. As Christians, we want to learn how to pray. And since there is no one better to learn from than our Savior, Jesus Christ, for the last several weeks, we have been studying the prayers of our Lord Jesus that are recorded for us on the pages of sacred Scripture. We have been doing this in connection with the Heidelberg Catechism's treatment of the Lord's Prayer, and thus the whole topic of prayer. And as we've been making our way through Lord's Days 45, now through 52, we have been using as our Scripture readings different passages that record our Savior praying, often on our behalf, and using those petitions of our Lord Jesus Christ to help us understand what it is we're asking God for when we pray the petitions that make up the Lord's Prayer. This evening, we conclude this section of the Heidelberg Catechism, and thus the Catechism itself by looking at the sixth petition, drawing from two different prayers that our Lord prayed for His people. Both of these are indeed intercessory prayers. That He's praying these on behalf of others. One, He prays for the church as a whole. The other, He prays for a specific individual. But what both of them teach us is that when we pray, the sixth petition, that is when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, what we're really praying for is that our God would both sanctify us and preserve us. And what's comforting to know is that not only do we make that prayer, not only does that prayer come from our lips, but that's the prayer of our Savior Jesus Christ both while He was on the earth and still now as our intercessor in heaven. And that gives us confidence as a people that God will indeed sanctify and preserve His people. So the theme for tonight's sermon is our prayer for sanctification and preservation. Our prayer for sanctification and preservation. First, we'll look at the petition itself. Second, we'll look at the urgency or the importance of this petition. And third, we'll look at the confidence or the hope that we have as a people. In the sixth petition, Jesus taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And those two phrases are really two sides of the same coin. That is, this is one overall petition with both a negative aspect to it, as well as a positive aspect. Negatively, Christ taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. And by praying that, we are implicitly acknowledging the sovereignty of our God over even the temptations that we face. Now, that's not to say that God Himself is the One who tempts us. James 1, verse 13 makes very clear that our God cannot be tempted by anyone, neither tempteth He any man. So it's not as though God Himself tempts us, but because God is sovereign, that is because God is in control over all of the circumstances of our life, everything that happens to us, as well as all of our actions down to our very footsteps, we recognize that He is therefore sovereign. He's in control over the temptations that we face. And when we pray, lead us not into temptation. We are asking God that He would prevent us from foolishly walking right into a temptation. That is, that He would keep us from willingly exposing ourselves to different temptations. And that prayer is needed because that's a danger for us. Scripture makes that clear in such passages as Proverbs 27, verse 12. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. That is, the wise man, when he recognizes what's ahead is dangerous. If I go down that path, I'm liable to fall into sin. I'm going to be tempted. The wise man sees that And goes a different way. He avoids it altogether. Whereas the simple man, even if he recognizes there is some danger out there, he he passes on. He just walks right into it. And that's a danger for us. It's a danger for Simon Peter. Though the Lord warned him that He would deny him three times before the crack of dawn, nevertheless, Simon Peter willingly walked right into a situation where he would be sorely tempted. He went to that courtyard of the high priest. He went to a place where he would be surrounded by those who would be intimidating from a certain point of view. And thus, he shows that he was like the simple one who passed on and was punished. And now since we are prone to doing that same thing, our prayer then becomes, lead us not into temptation. That is, govern my life so that I do not blindly walk into a a minefield of temptation. Keep me from willfully exposing myself to a, a hornet's nest of iniquity that is, keep me by Thy providence and by Thy Spirit from exposing myself to a situation where I know I will be sorely tempted. That from a negative point of view is the sixth petition. Lead us not into temptation. But then our Savior taught us to add the positive, that is, to deliver us from evil. And this positive is important because the reality is that we will face temptation. With the negative half half of the petition, we're asking that God would minimize both the number and the severity of the temptations that we face. But though we pray that petition, it is not God's will to remove all temptations from us. And that's clear from one of the two passages that we read in John 17, verse 15. Jesus says, says explicitly, my prayer is not that you would take them out of this world. My prayer is not that you would remove any and every temptation from them. But then he goes on to continue what his prayer is. So the fact of the matter, the reality is we will face temptations. And so our prayers not just negatively lead us not into temptation, but now also positively deliver us from evil. That is, when we do face temptations, Give us the grace to resist them. Work in us so that we say no when the devil tries to persuade us to sin. Give us the grace to see through the lies that the devil tries to convince us of. Help us to reject that bait that he holds out to draw us in. Help us to fight against our enemies. And insofar as we become ensnared in some sin, rescue us, deliver us, rise up and set us free. That's what we're praying when we pray. Deliver us from evil. In praying this petition, we are really asking God both to sanctify us and to preserve us. That is, if we look at this petition from a theological point of view, we're praying for both sanctification and preservation. On the one hand, we're praying for sanctification. Sanctification being God's work to make us holy even as He is holy. And is that not a part of what we're asking for? Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. We're asking that God would help us to keep ourselves separated. Set apart from sin. Instead, devoted unto our God. That's holiness. That's sanctification. We're praying for God's sanctifying grace to be at work in our lives. And we can say that is a part of how we are to understand this petition in light of what Christ Himself prays for His church. The prayer of our High Priest is that God would sanctify us. That's what we read in John chapter 17. John 17, verse 17, we read, sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy Word is truth. Sanctify them. That is, set them apart. Make them holy. And this is His prayer because in the context He's just said, my prayer is not that you would take them out of the world, but in fact, we're sent into the world. But yet, we have the calling to be different from the world. In the world, but not of the world. And because we're inclined to follow the ways of the world, the prayer becomes, sanctify them. Help them to be holy. Make them holy. Even as thou art holy. And Jesus adds that He would do this through thy truth. And he says, thy Word is truth. He's telling us that the Word of God is truth because everything that it says, whether it's about God, whether it's about us, whether it's about Christ, everything it contains is true. It's accurate. But what is more, the Word is truth because it sets forth the truth, Jesus Christ. And now it's by means of that word by means of the truth that our God sanctifies His people. So that the prayer is that as a people we would grow to love the truth more and more. And that we would live according to the truth more and more. So on the one hand when we pray the sixth petition, we are praying that God would sanctify us. On the other hand, we're also praying that God would preserve us. Because God's work of preservation is His work of keeping us in the state of our salvation until we reach heavenly glory. And that too is a part of this petition. That's evident from the language of the Catechism. In the second half of question answer 127, we read this, Do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us by the power of Thy Holy Spirit. We're asking that God would keep us in the hollow of His hand and not allow anyone to pluck us out of that hand. We're asking that because God has begun a good work in our hearts and lives, that He would continue that work until the day of Christ's return. And again, we can be confident that this too is a part of the sixth petition because of what Christ Himself prays on behalf of His people. He prays really that God would preserve us. That's His prayer in John 17, verse 15. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil that God would guard us. That God would protect us. That God would defend us as a people. That He would keep us from going astray. And that was His prayer not only for the church as a whole, but that was His prayer for an individual saint in the church. That was His prayer for Simon Peter. In Luke chapter 22, verse 32, we read this, "...but I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not." He knows Simon Peter is going to fall into sin, but his prayer is that though He falls, that His faith would not fail. That is, His faith would not utterly fail. It's a prayer for the preservation of His own. That's what these prayers teach us. And so too, that's our prayer. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, Father, sanctify us. Father, Father, Preserve us. And in making that petition, ultimately we are praying that for the work of the Spirit of Christ in our hearts and lives. For the reality is that we need Jesus Christ for both our sanctification and our preservation. Was that not the conclusion? that we were led to when we considered the law? Was that not the main take-home message when we considered especially the 10th commandment, thou shalt not covet? When we studied the law, what we were led to see is that we need our Savior Jesus Christ not just for our justification, not just for the forgiveness of sins, but we need Christ for our sanctification. We need Him for our Preservation. Because of ourselves, we could never make even a small beginning in that new life of obedience. Of ourselves, we could never persevere until the very end and withstand against the onslaughts of our enemies. What the law taught us is that we need Christ. We need Him for our sanctification and for our preservation. And that's true exactly because Those aspects of our salvation are indeed the work of our God. Yes, in sanctification and preservation, He works in us in such a way that we become active so that we live a holy life so that we do persevere. But we must never forget that sanctification and preservation are the work of the triune God. He sanctifies. He preserves And He does so by the work of His Spirit. That's been the consistent message of the Heidelberg Catechism all throughout the whole of it. So that though there's only one Lord's Day that focuses in on the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, That does not mean that the Spirit is ignored. That does not mean the Spirit is pushed aside out of view, but the reality is that the Heidelberg Catechism keeps coming back to the work of the Spirit again and again and again. And specifically, the Catechism has consistently taught us that the Spirit is the One who sanctifies and preserves us. Now that's easy enough to state, but now let's see that. Let's... Demonstrate that for a moment. If we go back to Lord's Day 8, for example, we read there and we're taught there that the articles of the Christian faith are divided along three lines first, of God the Father and our creation, second, of God the Son and our redemption, and third, of God the Holy Spirit and our sanctification. That is, the Spirit stands on the foreground in that aspect of our salvation. This is also the teaching of Lord's Day 21. In question answer 54, which talks about the holy Catholic church, there we were taught that Christ, the Son of God, gathers, defends, and preserves to Himself by His Spirit a church chosen to everlasting life. That is, it's the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of Christ, who defends, who preserves His church. This is the teaching of Lord's Day 26, question and answer 70, where we ask, what is it to be washed with the blood and Spirit of Christ? And a part of the answer is that it's to be renewed by the Holy Ghost and sanctified to be members of Christ. Again, the Spirit is the One who renews us, who gives us that new life, and who sanctifies us. Same truth is taught in Lord's Day 32, question and answer 86. Why must we do good works? Because Christ, having redeemed and delivered us by His blood, also renews us by His Holy Spirit after His own image. It's by the work of the Spirit in our hearts and lives that we become active in a life of good works, that we become zealous for good works. This is the teaching of Lord's Day 44. Question and answer 115. Toward the end, we read likewise that we may constantly endeavor and pray to God for the grace of the Holy Spirit, that we may become more and more conformable to the image of God. It's the work of the Spirit of Christ to mold us, to shape us, to conform us, that is, to sanctify us and preserve us in the image of our Savior. And in complete harmony with everything the Catechism has already taught us, Lord's Day 52 also emphasizes this same truth. Lord's Day 52, Do Thou therefore preserve and strengthen us by the power of Thy Holy Spirit. It's in light of all this that we recognize when we pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We are praying for the work of the Spirit of Christ. Because He's the One who governs us so that we come to hate evil and to love that which is good. It's the Spirit of Christ that keeps us from falling. And thus we're praying ultimately that He would work mightily in our hearts and lives by His Spirit. That by His Spirit He would energize us in a life of sanctification, in a life of perseverance. We're asking that God would work in us both the willing and the doing of these aspects of the Christian life. That is our petition. and you understand, beloved congregation, this is an urgent petition must pray this with a sense of urgency. And the reason for that is expressed in the first half of question and answer 127. There we read, which is the sixth petition? And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is, since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand a moment, and beside this, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh, cease not to assault us. Do thou therefore preserve and strengthen us. That is, the first half is telling us here's the importance of this petition. Here's the urgency of this petition. First, it's urgent on account of our own weakness. catechism says since we are so weak in ourselves that we cannot stand A moment. And we're weak exactly because we still have that old man of sin within us. That is, though we have been regenerated, though we've been given new life, we still have that part of us that is corrupt, that is depraved. We have that flesh, that sinful nature that's incapable of doing any good and inclined to all evil. And it's in light of that that John Calvin wrote, for example, quote, our will is always ready to addict itself to evil rather than good. End quote. Our will is ready to addict itself to sin. That's what we want according to the old man. And it's because we still have that sinful flesh that of ourselves, use to use the language of the catechism, we cannot stand a moment that is of ourselves. We would walk willingly as fools right into a snare. We would willingly expose ourselves to all manner of temptation. That's what we want according to that old man of sin. And what is more, on account of that sinful flesh, of ourselves, we can never resist Any temptation. We would never say no to some sin. And what is still worse is that on account of that old man of sin left to ourselves, even if we were ensnared, we would never want to be rescued. We would be perfectly content to be in bondage to sin. Enslaved to the devil. And because that's true, this prayer becomes urgent, and in one of the passages of scripture that we read, we have a, an illustration of this very thing of the the weakness of who we are, and that comes out in the interaction that's recorded for us in luke chapter twenty two This is what our Lord Jesus wanted Simon Peter to know that of himself he was so weak that he could not stand. For a moment. And that's why our Savior addresses Simon Peter the way that He does in Luke 22, verse 31. There we read, And the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you. He does not say Peter. He says Simon, and He uses the name twice. That is, He does not use the name that he gave to Simon, the name that means rock. He does not use the name that signified what Christ Himself would make Simon Peter to be by His transforming grace, but instead He uses His natural name as it were. That is, He uses the name that signifies who this man was apart from the grace of God. And thus what He was saying to His disciple was this, Simon, Simon, of yourself, you are no rock. Of yourself, you're not that man of stability. And thus there was a warning. Do not face temptations in your own strength. Do not suppose that left to yourself you will be able to resist. Simon, you are weak in and of yourself. You need help. You need grace. And so it is for us. That's our weakness. Of ourselves, we cannot sanctify ourselves. In our own strength, we cannot persevere to the end. And because that's true, because we are weak in ourselves, that makes this petition urgent. That makes this petition important. But now that... Importance is only strengthened on account of the fact that not only are we weak in ourselves, that first of all, but now secondly, because of the strength of our enemies. And that's where the catechism goes next. The catechism adds, and besides this, on top of that, since our mortal enemies, the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh cease not to assault us. Catechism speaks first of all of the devil. Our Savior Jesus Christ was certainly conscious of Him. Even as He spoke to Simon Peter, He says in Luke 22, verse 31, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you, that he may sift you as wheat. Now when Christ speaks of sifting Simon Peter as wheat, He's using the illustration of a sieve that is a framework surrounded or some meshwork surrounded by a frame that was used to separate grain from chaff. You would take the harvest, put it in on top of the sieve, and then you would shake it back and forth, and that shaking motion and the the tilting back and forth would serve to separate the grain from the chaff and when Christ uses this as an illustration with regard to what Satan wants to do to Peter. The idea is He wants to subject him to a severe trial with a view to using that trial to His advantage. He wants to do the exact same thing that He did to Job. If you take away his wealth, if you take away his family, if you send some sickness upon you, He will deny you. That's exactly what Satan wanted to do with Simon Peter. He wanted him to be in a situation where he'd be sorely tempted so that the devil could take advantage of that, so that the devil could pounce at that moment. This makes him one of our enemies. This is how he seeks to ensnare us. He's a fierce opponent. He's not alone. Because not only is there the devil, there's the wicked world the catechism adds. And that too was something Christ was conscious of even as He prayed for His church. In John 17, verse 14, for example, we read, I have given them My word, and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Christ is referring to the world, not in the sense of this physical creation, but as the the wicked unbelievers that make up this world, that inhabit this world. And the world, according to Scripture itself, hates God, it hates Christ, and therefore it hates Christ's church. And is focused on destroying the church, whether that's by corrupting the church, influencing it in the negative manner, or by silencing the church and ultimately destroying the church. So we have enemies, we have the devil, we have the world, and... Not only do we have these external enemies, there's an internal enemy. That is, our external enemies have an ally within. There's that sinful flesh that we already talked about. And these three enemies want to destroy us. That's why the Catechism refers to them as our mortal enemies. This is a fight to the death, and they're persistent. The Catechism says that they cease not to assault us. Our enemies never let up. They do not take breaks. They do not go on vacation. But this is a 24-7 battle. At all times, we are engaged in this spiritual warfare. And now the point of all this is that because we're weak in and of ourselves, because our enemies are so strong and active, that makes the sixth petition urgent. It means it's important that we are praying regularly. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's only when we recognize our own weakness and the strength of our enemies, that we will then recognize the folly of self-confidence and instead become constant in watching in prayer, watching and prayer. On the one hand, we must recognize the folly of self-confidence. It's important that we do that because that was the downfall of Simon Peter. We say that in light of how Simon Peter responds to the warning that Christ gives to him. Christ warns him in verse 31, Satan hath desired to sift thee as wheat. And how does Simon Peter respond? Verse 33, and he said unto him, Lord, I am ready to go with thee, both into prison and into death says I will not deny you. And from the parallel accounts we know that he doubles down on this when Christ presses on presses him on this matter he says no I will not even if all these other disciples abandon you I would not. He is full of self-confidence and self-reliance. It was with his heart full of self-reliance that he goes into the garden. It's with a heart full of self-confidence that he goes into that courtyard of the high priest. And it was with a heart full of self-confidence that he denied the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the heart condition that led to his lamentable fall. And such self-confidence is a grave danger for us too. For if we seek to stand in our own strength, it's not just that we might fall, that we're more inclined to fall. But insofar as we seek to stand in our own strength, it's a guarantee we will fall into sin. And thus we need to be reminded of the weakness of ourselves and the strength of our enemies so that we recognize on the one hand the folly of self-confidence. And when we recognize that, that will lead us on the other hand to become constant in watching and in prayer. And by putting it that way, we are drawing from the language of the Canons of Dort in Head 5 Articles 4 and 13. Head 5 is all about our preservation. And in Article 4, for example, we have helpful instruction for us. Article 4 reads this way, Although the weakness of the flesh cannot prevail against the power of God who confirms and preserves true believers in a state of grace, yet converts are not always so influenced and actuated by the Spirit of God as not in some particular instances, sinfully to deviate from guidance of divine grace so as to be seduced by and comply with the lust of the flesh. They must therefore be constant in watching and prayer that they be not led into temptation. What this article is teaching us is that not only are we liable to commit some great heinous sin, but that at times we do in fact commit such great sins. And the instruction embedded into this article is what it says when it says this they must therefore be constant in watching and prayer that they be not led into temptation. We must be on high alert at all times. We must be praying regularly, the petition, the sixth petition of the Lord's Prayer. And the same truth is taught in Article thirteen. Article thirteen reads. Neither does renewed confidence of persevering produce licentiousness or a disregard to piety in those who are recovering from backsliding, but it renders them much more careful and solicitous to continue in the ways of the Lord. Article 13 is talking about the backsliding believer who's been brought to repentance and it's teaching that that child of God having been brought to repentance has not become careless, as though I can do whatever I want because God's going to preserve me anyway. But instead, He becomes all the more careful. And that carefulness is defined in terms of being all the more solicitous. That is becoming constant in our prayers. And what both of these articles are teaching us us, is the importance of being on guard the importance of praying regularly that God would indeed sanctify us and preserve us. And that's especially important when it comes to battling those besetting sins against which we all struggle. A besetting sin is a sin that we are especially prone to or inclined toward. A besetting sin is that weak spot that the devil knows he can use to lead us astray. A besetting sin is that evil that my sinful flesh loves more than anything. And we all have such besetting sins. And the question for us tonight is do we pray that God would deliver us from that evil. That He would not lead us into that specific temptation. How many of us, knowing that we have some besetting sin, could honestly say that we pray daily, every day, that God would deliver us from it? If your experience is like mine, after falling into such a sin, and then being brought to repentance, there is a season in which we pray regularly. That is, I just fell into that sin, praise be to God, He renewed me, helped me to see my sin, and made me sorry for it so that I sought forgiveness. And from that day moving forward, yes, there is a stretch of time when I can honestly say, I pray every single day, God, deliver me from that specific evil. But then over time, we begin to let down our guard. Because after all, it's been a couple days. It's been weeks even since I've fallen into that sin. And what happens is our prayers become less fervent what happens is that that petition dries up altogether eventually. And then we all know what comes next. We fall again. Knowing our own weakness and knowing the strength of our enemies underscores the importance Of being constant in watching in prayer instead of relying on ourselves. And by saying that, that does not mean that it's my prayer, that this work of God depends on my prayers, as though if I could just pray enough, then for sure God will deliver me. That's not the point. But the point is to emphasize the clear teaching of. Lord's Day 45, which teaches us that God gives his grace and spirit to those who ask. So do you pray? Lead me not into that temptation. Do you pray? Deliver me from that specific sin. May God use this sermon, this Word of God, to remind us all of the importance of that prayer so that we do indeed pray it from the heart every single day. And now the good news, child of God, is that you can pray that petition with confidence. There's hope. There is. And our confidence, our hope, first of all, is that God will indeed continue to sanctify and preserve us. And that comes out in Luke 22, verse 32, where Jesus says to Simon Peter, But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Jesus Christ knows He's going to fall into sin. He knows... What comes next? But He also knows that after Simon Peter has denied Him three times, He will then convert Him. He will work repentance in His heart. He will draw Him back to Himself. And He does the same thing for us. He converts us. He brings us back. And that's what gives us confidence. That though I do fall, He does not let me go. He does not abandon me. He does not walk out. He does not say, you're hopeless. But He continues His work of grace. He continues to sanctify. He continues to preserve. Which means when we pray the sixth petition, we can be absolutely certain He will hear and answer us. But now, our Confidence, our hope is not only that He will continue to sanctify and preserve us in this life, but our confidence and hopes is secondly that He will one day complete that work. And that's the teaching of the Catechism at the very end of question and answer 127. Question and answer 127 ends that. We may not be overcome in this spiritual warfare, but constantly and strenuously may resist our foes, and now this, until at last we obtain a complete victory. For now we battle, but one day we will be given a complete victory. That will be true at death. Because at death, God completes His work of sanctifying us. At death, He finally rids us of that old man of sin and He brings us to a place where we are beyond the reach of our enemies. He completes His work of sanctification. He completes His work of preservation and that He has brought us all the way to the end so that at death, the individual child of God is given a complete victory. And then when Christ comes again, the complete victory for the church as a whole is accomplished. For when Christ comes again, all of His people will be brought to glory. And all of His enemies will be fully and completely vanquished. That's our hope. That's our confidence. And we have good reason to be confident, to have an assurance of this. Because on the one hand, His is the Kingdom, the power, and the glory. That's how we conclude our prayers. Question and answer 128. How dost thou conclude thy prayer? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That is all these we ask of thee, because thou, being our King and Almighty, art willing and able to give us all good. And all this we pray for, that thereby not we, but thy holy name may be glorified forever. Our confidence is that the kingdom, the power, and the glory does not belong to Satan, it does not belong to the world nor does it belong to our sinful flesh. But the kingdom, the power, and the glory belong to Christ, our ascended Lord. And because that's true, He is able to sanctify us. In spite of all of our spiritual enemies, He is able to preserve us. Though the very gates of hell are unleashed to draw us astray. That gives us confidence. That makes our hope a sure and certain hope. And that becomes even stronger when we remember Christ Himself is praying this on our behalf. Let's not forget these are prayers coming from His lips. Keep them. Let their faith not fail. Sanctify them through Thy truth. Those are all words proceeding from the mouth of our Savior, our High Priest, our Mediator, our Intercessor. Christ Himself is praying on our behalf from His throne on high. He's praying for us as the One who's been given all power and dominion and authority. And He's praying on the basis of His completed and perfect work. He's praying on the basis of His shed blood at the cross of Calvary. And therefore, you may be sure God will hear and answer that prayer. He will continue to sanctify us. He will preserve us to the very end. That's the reason for our confidence. That's the reason for our hope. It may be true that we express that hope in the way that we end our prayers by saying from the heart and with understanding that little word, Amen. For that is indeed the implication of that word according to question answer 129. What doth the word Amen signify? Amen signifies it shall truly and certainly be. For my prayer is more assuredly heard of God than I feel in my heart that I desire these things of Him. Catechism is teaching us the basic idea, the basic meaning of that word when it says truly and certainly. That's the whole point of the word Amen. This is true. And that means that when we use that word, At the end of our prayers, it's more than simply the signal to those around us that we have finished our prayer and that we can open our eyes again. But that little word, Amen, is meant to be an expression of the confidence, of the assurance, of the hope that we have in our hearts. So knowing that our God will indeed answer this prayer, knowing that He will indeed sanctify and preserve us to the very end. May we use that word with meaning. May God give us the grace to pray with this confidence and to express it with that word. Amen. Let us pray. Father, We humbly confess our own weakness. And we humbly confess that our enemies are much stronger than we are. And therefore, we cast ourselves before thy throne of grace, humbly beseeching thee, preserve us and sanctify us, O Lord by the Spirit of Christ. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And we make this petition with the confidence that Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And we beseech Thee that Thou wilt hear us for Jesus' sake, in whose name we pray, Amen.